We've been talking about walking in newness of life, and I'm going to continue on that. If you'll go ahead and turn to Romans 6. And, and tonight on, on walking in newness of life, we're going to talk about a fresh and satisfying life that comes from walking in Jesus. I think that's what the word newness it brings out, walking in newness of life. You go ahead and find Romans 6. A fresh and a satisfying life. And if we, um, if we really have that, and as I was just talking with my brother Sam up here just a moment ago about someone and, that, uh, that he's praying for and I'm praying for too, and that for their life to get turned around. And isn't Jesus big enough? I mean, have you ever ran into anybody's story that just wasn't, was, was a story just too big for God to do anything for them? I mean, that, that it even, did it overwhelm you a bit thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know, even if Jesus could straighten that out. How I many of you know that's, you just don't run into that like that? But right on the other hand, you and I are right the opposite. How many times do we run into somebody that seems like, to a lot of people, it may seem like a hopeless case, but to you and I, that's like, hey, that's the, that's the kind of thing we're looking for. Amen. They, they think they've got a hopeless case, but to you and I, we're like, this is exactly what Jesus is capable of doing. And I think if there's one thing that I could sum up the last couple of years of what God's had me teaching, last for two years at least, is that God's power, Jesus' power, is so available and has so much ability. But we've got to get that outside the church. People aren't hearing that. And they run into things and they don't know that God's got the, the answer to their problem. And I'm talking about people in the church. A lot of times people in the church are just like they're hopeless. And it's a sad thing. A Christian should never be a hopeless person. But no one that you and I work with or in contact with should be hopeless because we're there to bring that hope. We're carriers of that hope. We've been talking on Sunday mornings about the power in the name of Jesus. And for several weeks we did that. And we're bearers. You remember where Paul's... When Paul was sharing his testimony, uh, well, let me back up to the day it happened. Remember when Paul got saved on the road to Damascus? And he goes in there and he, and he doesn't eat for three days and three nights. He's fasting. He's blinded. Not that God physically blinds anybody, but the glory of God was so bright. I just say it like this. His encounter with Jesus was so overwhelming that he couldn't even see physically for, for three days. And it would have lasted longer except God was able to heal him when Ananias. But, anyway, but he needed somebody. He needed a friend. He needed a helper. And, and, and the Bible says he was praying for three days and three nights. And he may have been praying, somebody's got to help me. Somebody's got to do it. I don't know what he was praying. You don't either. It's my sermon, so I can lean my direction in it. But, I mean, he obviously was praying for some help, some aid, some assistance. And God just raised up an Ananias. God just tagged him and said, look, i got a guy named Saul down here. And uh, I need you to go work with him. said, he's a believer now. And, and uh, Ananias was like, uh-uh, I've heard, man, I have read. I've seen this guy's picture on the post office. And uh, 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 I ain't going down there. And, you know, this guy's killing Christians. I know God thinks that's real helpful when we inform him what's really going on. And God says, no, no, no. And here's what I was getting to, all that. But here's what I'm getting to. Is God said, no, he's a chosen vessel for me. And one of the things he said, he's to bear my name to the Gentiles. And I, every time I read that, Joel, it just goes off in the side of me. We're to bear his name, Jesus' name, to every person we come in contact with. Jesus can fix that. And you know, it's a comforting word when you say something like that, when somebody just got a report of cancer, or they got to report their husband or their wife is leaving them, or, or a child's sick, or whatever it is, and, and you're sitting there like, that's nothing for Jesus. And, and then you're there to tell them how good He is and the grace of God, and just say, you know, and He wants to do this for your daughter. He can fix this relationship. There was a, a woman came to a pastor that I knew about, 
And uh, this, this is an old story. The pastor's in heaven now. But came to her pastor. He didn't really know her. It's a very large church in another city. Didn't know who she was. And he called her on the phone just crying. And, and pastor, you got to help me. And he couldn't understand what she was saying because she was so distraught crying. So he said to her, said, you're going to have to, I can help you. He said, I don't know what's going on with you, but I can help you because Jesus is big enough to help you. If you can just quieten down a little bit, quiet yourself and then tell me what's going on. And let's talk in a reasonable way what we got to do to fix it. Well, the thing was she had heard that her husband was with another woman. And it was just overwhelming to her. And, and so a few days later, he, the husband came in to his office, you know, set up an appointment you know, with the pastor and came in and said, you know, I, I've got some problems in my marriage and my wife thinks up saying, well, he said, well, is there another woman involved? Because he had heard that from the wife. He didn't say he had talked to the wife. He just said, is there another woman involved? He said, well, there's a, a lady at work I'm talking to. There's just a talking. It's just, you know, nothing going on, just talking. And, uh, and he began to name all the things going on wrong with his wife. Well, she just, you know, said she just don't take care of the house and she's always tired and she don't fix herself up anymore. And, and, uh, and it's just tiring. And he said, I need a vacation. And the pastor said, well, maybe she does too. <laughs> so you got two children now and, and uh, you're helping her. Why don't you hire a maid? And of course, he had reasons why not to, but he went through all the things. And, and well, anyway, then he called now the pastor. Thank God for a good pastor. Amen. Pastor then, the day or two later, called the wife. He didn't, he didn't say, I talked to the husband. He just said, he said, you know, said, I've been praying for you. And said, God told me you might just sort of clean up a little bit and have a good meal. Instead of just throwing hamburgers on the table, you might fix something nice for your husband and be prettied up. Well, it saved that marriage. I mean, just by doing a little something. But Jesus got right in the middle of that and saved that marriage. And one of the strongest marriages he said that was ever in his church. Just by, by making some little corrections and people realizing just how much they're in love with each other. But Jesus can fix them. You'll never talk to somebody that doesn't have uh, an ability to get with God and get their answer. Never, you'll never meet anybody. You'll never meet a hopeless case. But I'm telling you, you and I are carriers of the hope. Have you found Romans chapter 6? In Romans chapter 6, we've been on this now. Tonight will be our third Wednesday night talking about this. Walking in newness of life. Let's find it. Here it is. This is our, this is our golden text for this series. Therefore, we're buried with Him by baptism. That's our relationship with Him. He became us so that we could become Him. So when He died, we died on the cross. When He was buried, we were buried. That's what Paul's talking about. Of course, that goes on further. When He was resurrected, we were resurrected. Now, when do you get resurrected? See, a lot of people say, well, when the rapture comes, we'll get resurrected. Well, that's another resurrection. Don't misunderstand me. But you got resurrected when He got resurrected. On the third day when Jesus was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. Same time you got healed, basically. When did you get healed? <laughs> you may be sick tonight, symptoms in your body. How many of you had to overcome something to get here anyway tonight? And I did. And, uh, and, and thank God we're here. That's pretty powerful to me. I just, you just don't know what I went through the last two days. Y'all, let me tell you about how Susan treats me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nothing to do with that. <laughs> Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into his death. We experienced what he experienced because he experienced what we experienced. Because mine and your sins, we deserved to go to hell. So, the sentence is we had to go. When did you go? When he went. See, everything's substitute. He's our substitute. Therefore, we're buried with Him by baptism into death that Christ is... Now, the point, I guess, what the Holy Spirit's trying to make, and I don't know why I'm getting stuck on this other than the first part of the Scripture, other than if you could just catch the revelation that you're already free from anything that would bind you. Already free. That's why the last part of the Scripture says, Now, therefore, walk like a new person with a new life. 
Now let's read, let's read it. All right. Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so by that same glory of the Father, we now also should walk in newness of life. I added the word now. We're supposed to walk in a newness of life. Well, we spent two weeks talking about that. But let me center up on this word newness for just a minute. This, this is something we haven't brought out in these last couple of weeks. What do you see in that word newness, newness of life? Well, we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. That's a big deal. We're new, so we're certainly talking about whatever took place when we became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now walk like what you became. That's a good way to say it. But you know what that word newness actually means? Now, I hadn't spent two, on the last two weeks, I hadn't mentioned this to you. But that word newness means freshness. It's freshness. It actually means novelty. Uh, novelty, not, not meaning a small toy that you buy for a cheap price. The, the word novelty, what that means is something that's brand new that people aren't used to. You're supposed to live in a way that's not usual or not normal. And I'm going to say it like this to strike your thinking. This is what the Holy Spirit kept dealing with me about today. God's calling me and you in this room tonight to walk in a way every day, Monday through Saturday, Sunday through Saturday, every week, to walk in a way... With Jesus that nobody ever has seen before. To walk in a fresh newness of life that the world's not used to, that the church has never witnessed a part of. Now, Paul was challenging the Roman Christians to do that here. Say, come on, walk like this. You're supposed to walk just like Jesus. Well, that would be different, wouldn't it? Every day fresh, every day new. So, so you might want to write that down to remember that word freshness means, uh, newness means freshness, or novelty means new and unusual, or something unfamiliar. Some of y'all heard a phrase, something like this before, and I'm going to give it to you again. I think we heard it first from Go Ministries. Walk in a way that the world is unfamiliar with. But step further, walk in a way with Jesus that the church is unfamiliar with. I've pastored a long time. 20 years before I went in the pastoral ministry, though, 20 years of my life, I saw a lot of people in the church absolutely devastated with just a problem that Jesus was able to fix. Now, you know as well as I do, and, and this is not the case here, but in most places that we go, people are devastated by their problems. Amen. That's right. Well, the doctor said, you know, and they think, well, maybe if I tell you the symptoms, then you'll come down to their level and condescend and say, oh, you're right. God couldn't fix that. Somebody said something to me years ago. This must have been nearly 40 years ago. I was going through something, and I, and I kind of began to, a friend of mine, and I began to describe what I was going through to him. And he said, oh, oh, yeah, I guess God fell off the throne now, hadn't he? And, you know, and that's, that's a little bit degrading when people talk to you like that. No, I know he didn't fall off the throne. I just don't think he's big enough to fix my problem. Well, that don't sound right. You know, that's the kind of the adage. I didn't say that, but I mean, that's what I might as well say it. But that's what people are looking like. But you be the one person that walks the streets of Walker County, Northwest Alabama, wherever we're from, whatever city we're part of, you be the one that walks the streets with, hey, my God's got the solution. That's what Paul calls a newness of life. Joe Fowler, anybody know Joe, Brother Joe? Great preacher, minister of the gospel, missionary, and wonderful carpenter. He's retired from carpentry, but he hadn't retired from preaching. I talked to him just the other day on the phone. Joe, if, there's, if you've ever been around Joe Fowler, this is what I started to tell you about him. Joe Fowler's always like this. No matter what's going on, he just says, and this is so comforting. He said, everything's going to be all right. Y'all thought that was going to be bigger, didn't you? <laughs> I built that up pretty good. But I tell you what, you just don't know when you get into a panic of things. And, yeah. and, and I've watched him in building programs, what he did here for us 10 years ago, nearly 10 years, nine years ago. And things he's done at, you know, at other places, I'd have to, sometimes he'd call, want to borrow a tool from me because I inherited daddy's tools and didn't know how to use them. So I would loan him some. I'd carry it out on a job site to him and, and Joe, you know, be dealing with maybe whoever he's working for or something's going on or the, one of the constructors, Armin might have had something up there about how we're going to do this. And Joe's answer was always, everything's going to be all right. Amen. And that's so comforting. 
I just, I, I'm sorry if I'm spending too much time on that, but you and I need to become that person that just speaks into the life of our coworkers. Mamas into the life of your children. Daddies do the same thing. Into the life of your husband, your wife, your spouse, in other words. And whoever we go to, fellow church members, we just need to be, like, everything's going to be all right. Jesus has got this. If All we've got to do is put it in His hands. You know, there was a phrase years ago, popular, I think, I, I don't know, uh, Joe, when it, well, maybe in the 80s you might remember this, but it, when it came out, that seemed like 80s when I first heard it, they would say, let go and let God. Yes. You remember that phrase? Yes. You hadn't heard that much lately, but what did you, I, what do they mean by that, let go and let God? Well, I just thought it meant something I'd learned in Terry's Disco when I was in high school, you know, just let go, let go, <laughs> whatever that was, just let it go. I didn't help you any, did it? It, it was a very poor illustration. It took me a long time to realize what it meant was get your hands off of it and let God take care of it. And you have to get your hands off of whatever, because as long as you've got it, God doesn't. And, and as much as you would like Him to just move into this thing. I, I was listening to, um, who said this the other day? But, Gary see. But he made the statement that uh, they were talking about God's system of not toiling but God's system of blessing that we want to increase you. And if you're still working in the system of toil, wanting God to bless you, He's not able to do that because He's chose a different system. It's called the system of blessing. And you can't have your hand in the toil. Does that mean we're not supposed to work? To answer that, does that mean we're not supposed to work? No, of course, the Bible says, He that don't work, don't let him eat. But here's another phrase that you've all heard and you need to think about. I think it comes into play right here. You remember this was said years ago. Somebody said, if you'll do what you enjoy doing, you'll never work a day That's in your life. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go a step from that. If you'll do what God's called you to do and assigned you to do, yes. you're not working. You're just on a heavenly yes. assignment. Amen. So I'm, I'm just saying, but if you're laboring, work as, as they used to sing that old song, working your fingers to the bones, trying to get it, bone, trying to get ahead. What do you get? Bony fingers. <laughs> But if you can just say, Lord, I'm just going to let go of this thing. I'm just going to trust you big time. Right. I'm going to talk about what you're doing. That's and then right. we have to relate that to other people. You know, get it over to other people. Just say, you know, you need to learn to let go. Yeah. Let go right. of it. And let God get involved with you in Amen. this thing. And you're there to give them Scripture. Because if they hadn't been in a church where the Word's been preached, they don't that's know Scripture right. on it. Amen. And that's your power. That's, that's right. your strength. Yes, it is. Amen. That's your foundation. If you're on that, Satan can't knock you off. If that's you're not right. on a Scripture, Satan will just knock you off Amen. no matter how determined you are. That's right. But if you've got a Scripture, he can't, he can't mess with you on that. Amen. So anyway, here we're supposed to walk in the newness of life, and that's what I think God's trying to get across to us. So it's a new novelty. It means new and unusual, unfamiliar, different from the rest of the world. And I'm, again, I'm going to add different from the rest of the church. We're going to be people that expect God to do something. Pra- practice saying it this week like Joe Fowler. Why, just why not do that? Just say everything. But you have to explain that. Everything's not going to be all right if you don't get it in hand, God's hands. But just learn to let that be an opening statement. With you. Practice that. Just say, everything's going to be all right. Let's get it over into God. Let's find out what... Wigglesworth, Smith Wigglesworth would say it like this. When he was in a situation, he'd say, wait a minute now. Let's see what... Before you get upset about that, he'd say, let's see what Father has to say about it. And he would always go to see what the Bible says. And some problem arise, he'd say, no, wait, let's see what Father has to say about it. Jesse Duplantis said something one time that just struck me so strange. He said, stop reading your Bibles. I thought, heretic. <laughs> what do you mean stop reading your Bible? He was saying that in the Word of Faith Convention. Stop reading. But then he said this. He said, stop reading your Bibles and start hearing your Bible. What he meant was, don't just read it for the act of reading it, but read it hearing God saying it to you. This is God saying to me. So you, you, know, what, you know how Wigglesworth would do that? 
Let's see what Father has to say about it. Here's how Wigglesworth would do it. Now, he had a, a little new... Anybody got a small New Testament? A pack of cigarettes, something? Y'all don't keep cigarettes here. That was a joke. That was a bad, another bad joke. Not a good illustration. But it was funny because y'all don't smoke, right? Right. Some of y'all are not looking. Some of y'all are looking at them hard. Listen, but the idea of he'd have that little testament in his pocket. Now, that's why, and I can't put this in my pocket and demonstrate, but I'm going to use this. But he'd have that New Testament, had Psalms and Proverbs in it, and he carried that with him. He didn't, you wouldn't catch Wigglesworth without his Bible. Amen. And so you could be telling him something, whether it was the doctor said that they're going to have to take your leg off or or whatever it may be, or, you know, problem. And he'd just say, well, let's see what Father has to say about it. He'd pull out that Bible and he'd open it like this. Father says, (laughs) you say, well, can you really do that? Well, you got to be careful. You got to be led of God. Right. You know, somebody said, uh, so-and-so killed himself today. And you say, well, let me give you a scripture. It says, go and thou, do thou likewise. No, that wouldn't be the one, right? right. You have to be right. careful because it does say that in the Bible. You'd have to know that God was leading you. But Wigglesworth always, he'd just open it up and say, this is what Father has to say to us. He would just open, I'm trying to stress to you, he would open it randomly and say, this is God talking to us in this situation. And he could preach a message off any verse. That's powerful, isn't it? Say amen to that if you can see that. So we're going to walk in this kind of newness of life. Not like people... Here, here's the way the Holy Spirit said it to me this afternoon. Walk in a new life, a new and unusual way, unfamiliar. Not like people were used to. Now let me show you what I mean by that. Turn right quick to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, what do you know about Hebrews 11 as you're turning over there? Faith chapter. Oh boy. That's the... Declared it back years ago as the Hall of Fame of the faith chapter. Hall of Fame of the Faith Folks, I believe the way right, they said it. Yeah, it talks about, of course, God creating the world by faith. It talks about Abel giving his more perfect offering, Noah by faith, building the ark and obeying God and so on. Gets down to Abraham and all the people and keeps on going. And just powerful story. Splitting the Red Sea, all kind of things. David, Samuel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego being thrown into fire is a mention or a reference there. David, oh, it just goes on and on and on. And when it gets to the end of all those powerful faith stories, Look down at verse 39. Now, now he's finishing this. What, what testament is Hebrews in? New, new Testament. New. Walk in newness of life. Right. He's talking about there's a new covenant with God. Don't walk usual. Don't walk like people used to. Right. Amen. Well, we could read about here in chapter 11 about Moses splitting the Red Sea. We could read about all these powerful things. And he gets down to the 39th verse and he says, All these that you just read about and get excited about, having obtained a good report through their faith, didn't receive the real promise. God having provided some better things for us. God got Moses and 3 million to 5 million Jewish people out of trouble by splitting the Red Sea. And God's got a better plan for you. You think that was cool. God said, you think splitting the Red Sea is cool? Watch what I'm going to do for you. He got something better for us. Ah, goodness. It's just on and on. Anyway, God's, let's read on verse 40. God has provided some better things for us that they that are without us, those that are not a part of our covenant, new covenant, should not be made perfect or complete. So we're complete. The Bible says in Colossians, we're complete in Him, in Jesus. We're complete in Him. I love the original text there. The Greek Bible says, we're completely, 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 complete in Him. And that word completely in the Greek means continuous. So you'd just be monotonous going on and on. We're completely, 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 completely. And maybe it gets stronger, not weaker. But it just completely, completely, completely. It's a non-ending word. Maybe that, I don't know what that means in English. Maybe a dangling participle that's holding on. But it just keeps going on and on and on. We're completely complete in Him. No person that you read about in Hebrews 11 and those powerful stories had what we have. 
And Paul's challenging us, hey, walk in a wow. new way of living. On. on a level Amen. that the world and the church is unfamiliar with. Amen. Well, better things. Look at the better things. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Show you what I'm talking about. Now I'm getting you to turn over here for this reason. Uh, I want you to look at this real quick. And then something else I can show you earlier in Matthew. This alright with you tonight? You got some stories? That you know God has proved Himself satisfying? Fresh, I, we're talking about fresh life, but also a satisfying life. Fresh and satisfying. I won't get off into that now. God will satisfy you. You ever had a baby crying for something? They wanted some one thing, and you tried to offer them 20 things in place of it. They weren't satisfied. What, what would satisfy them? <laughs> yeah, till you go back over to grandmama's house and get that thing you left over there, right? It just takes that. Well, I'm telling you, I know that's childish to, to do that, but you know what? And I'm not encouraging immaturity in us, but I think Father realizes that about us. There's certain things, you know, it takes to satisfy us. And He's capable of satisfying all those needs. God is satisfying. Peace, the peace that God gives us is satisfying. Mary Chapman is one of our church members that's been in heaven for four and a half years. October, as well as September. She passed away September 2014, one of the most powerful ladies. I had a phone call just the other day. Now, she passed away in 2014, but I had a phone call just the other day, a gentleman that I do not know from Texas. And, uh, and he said, you don't know me, but he said, I'm, uh, I was a friend of Mary Chapman's. I said, oh, I know Mary. I don't know you, but I know Mary. And he said, yeah. He said, I used to go to church with Mary. And he said, uh, we went to the same denominational church together. And I believe he said 1992. It was 92 or 94, but I think it was 92. He said, in 1992, he said, I left Jasper to go to Tulsa, but just and move off Tulsa and then Texas. And he said, I hadn't been home since. But he said, I just want you to know, he said, one of the last conversations I had with Mary at Winn-Dixie, he said, I said to her something about church, you know, and, and he, she said to me, said, oh, said, oh, 1992, said, she said, Oh, she says, Stuart, I found a church. All right. Praise God. Come on. Now, she started coming here about 89, wasn't it? 89 or early 90. And she said, she said, I found a church. And oh, I'm satisfied. I found what? That's what we're looking for. Well, he got spirit filled and moved to Tulsa. And he said, I never got. But he said, I just wanted you to know because of Mary. He said, I've been following your ministry all these years. Oh, yes. <laughs> he yes. said, I've been keeping up with your ministry. And he said, uh, yes. you, always, you know, anyway, he just said, y'all have done a lot of good things for Walker County, Northwest Alabama. Well, I, I received that as an encouraging Amen. word, That's very right. encouraging. But, but it just blessed me. He just said, Mary said, I found a church. Yes. And Mary never left church except to go to heaven. And I can understand why you'd leave church to go to heaven. Amen. You know, probably. Amen. She, at her wake in October, uh, on October the 3rd, Friday night was her wake at the funeral home. Some of y'all remember that. I spoke with a man that leaned on the pulpit. You know, this was during the wake, not the funeral. He just sort of leaned on the pulpit. The coffin was back there behind. And he said to me, Brother James, because he'd been in my church about two and a half years at that time. He'd just gotten saved at 79. Y'all remember. Some of y'all remember him. His name was Charles. He just got saved at 79 years of age. And now he was 83. I believe it was 83. And he leaned on that. And he said, man, he said, because uh, he'd been in church now two and a half years with Mary. He said, I just can't hardly believe. She was young, you know, when she passed, 64. He said, I can't believe it. But he said, but pastor, he said, I'm next. I said, no, no. He said, no, no, no. He said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied, he said. I'm completely satisfied. He said, I know I'm next. He said, I've already got everything written out, what I want you to do and the church to do and my family to do. He said, I, I'll be the next funeral. He said, God's already told me that. 
He said, but I'm satisfied. I'm ready to go. He said, I'm ready to go. Don't try to talk me out of it. He said, I'm ready to go. That night, he was rushed to the hospital and never woke up. But a week later, he was in heaven. He was the next one. But the point I'm trying to make to you was he's completely satisfied. He walked, in, he walked into our church at 79 years of age on a Friday or a Saturday. The offices were closed. I remember that. And I just happened to be in here that day. And he walked in, knocked on the door, rather, because it was locked. I was in here doing something. And I heard someone knocking the door. And it was Charles. I knew who he was, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Not very close. I knew his family better than him. And uh, I let him in. And, and he was so distraught. He said, I'm 79 years old. I've never been upset like this right now. He said, I've just come from the doctor. They told me I've got a disease. And he said, I've not been sick all the days of my life. The only time I was ever in the hospital was because of a car wreck. I'm 79 years old. I've never been sick a day in my life. Now they've got me on, thir- I think it was 14 or 13 or 14 medications. And he said, uh, I- I'm just distraught. I'm not satisfied with that. He said, I want to know. I- I haven't- my wife was saved in this church. She was in heaven. My daughter was saved in this church in heaven. Got another daughter that was a part of this church. And he said, I want to get saved. That- he-, he, said, he said, Jesus told me. He said, I've never been a Christian. He said, but I was sitting in my house alone and I cried out. And he said, I said an ugly word. Well, that wasn't uncommon if you knew Brother Charles. <laughs> he-, he said, I said an ugly word. He said, I'm tired of all this blank. And he called it what, it, what he felt like it was. And he- he- it scared him because he said that in front of God. Because he had never talked to God. Because he said, God, I'm tired of all this stuff in my life. You know, and he used the ugly word. And I looked at him. He had tears in his eyes. 79 years old. Always been his own God. His own religion. He was a God unto himself. I said to him, God understood what you said when you said that. He knew what you meant. He didn't take that upset. He said, you don't think he got upset? I said, no, he didn't. He's heard Susan say things like that before. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I said, no. <laughs> I said, y'all, I'm just having too much fun tonight. I whipped the devil to be here in church tonight. I'm just having fun. But I, I, I said, he's not upset with you over that. And he started crying, just really crying. He said, you really don't think that offended God? I said, no. I said, he, he just knows what you meant by it. And he said, he dried his tears and he said, I was hoping so because I think he told me if I'd come here today, I'd find you. Well, it's an off day. We're not normally going to be here that day. He said, God told me if I'd come here, I'd find you here. Pastor, he said, I'd find Pastor James here and you'd show me the way to heaven. Come on. Amen. Well, about three years later, he's leaning on that pulpit. October the 3rd, 2014, he said, I'm completely satisfied. I watched that man have everything that he wanted in his life from that time on. He told me after he'd gotten saved, 79, 80 years of age, 81, he said, for the first time in my life, I'm debt free. He said, I've been in it. He started tithing. He said, I'm tithing. I'm giving more. I've never given like this before. But he said, I'm giving money away now and blessing people and doing things. And anytime Susan and I would come up like we'd want something to do something, like we want to do this advertisement or going to you know, get a flyer for this, a bill, you know, a handbill for this or that. And he'd be like, I'll, I'll get it. I'll pay for it. I said, no, 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 Brother Charles, you don't have to do that. He just wanted to do anything right. and everything Amen. for God. He and he said, for the first time, I've been debt free. For the first time, I don't owe anybody. For the first time, I've, I've gotten all this off of me. For the first time, I'm happy. For the first time, I've got peace. I'm just telling you, in three short years of his life, he became satisfied. My point I'm trying to make to you is that God is a satisfying God. And just like that little baby, he knows what it takes to satisfy us. You know, Ezra is still on the pacifier. You probably don't like it any more than I do. But he does. And he's quite happy with it. And there's not anything that will satisfy you than than that. How old is he? He'll be, he's a year and a half. And uh, and let God deal with his mama when to get him off of it. So, you know, you know our, our little grandbaby. But, but he's happy with that pacifier. And, man, he keeps it close to him. He's got it buckled on there, too. And, you know, you can try to sneak it away, and he knows it. But my point, when he, when he wants it, there's nothing else that will satisfy him. 
Okay? Have you found this? God, God is an all right God. He's a real good God, and He knows what it takes to satisfy you. Now, I won't go through all this chapter. You're familiar with it, but you found Matthew chapter 6? Look at verse 31. We'll back all the way up to 31. It says, Therefore, take no thought, saying... Now, take no thought means take no anxious thought. I think Amplified or one translation brings that out. It means don't be worried about it. You're going to take thought about it. How many of you get up in the morning and you think about eggs <laughs> or something, you know? Yeah, that didn't go over good. I hope it's not sugar stuff you're eating. But verse 31, Therefore, take no thought, no worried, no anxious thought about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on, clothes, you know. Now, notice the next, verse 32, a parenthetical statement in parentheses. Notice it. It says, For all these things do the Gentiles seek. If you've got a little, little uh, margin there where you could write it, write the word scrounge. That's literally what it means. All these things do the world. The Gentiles means people outside of the covenant. After all these things do the world, people that don't know God, don't have a relationship with God, they scrounge for these things. They scrounge for what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink. Some of you remember when you lived a life like that. Amen. You have to take the seats of the car out to, uh, you know, just to look for milk money or something. I've heard people doing that. Try to figure out how they're going to send their kids to school. You know, and, and the Lord doesn't want you doing that. Why do the devil's kids have to scrounge like that? Because the devil's their daddy. Right. Amen. He doesn't provide for them. Right. God, the devil's not satisfying. He's very dissatisfying. It's wrong for you and I to live in a dissatisfied state. I mean, if I, if I don't have what I need right now, I'm still satisfied because I know God's going to get it to me. Yeah, He's got to get it to me. It doesn't mean I'm satisfied without it. It just means I'm satisfied He's working on that. I, I love to tell people, you know, because I mentioned, what was it, a week or so ago we talked about this, but we need to learn to tell people when they say, well, you say you're healed and you don't look like you're healed and you just say, well, God's working in my behalf right now. Um, you know, I, I told about times I'd go drive a car, I'd, I'd get to go preach somewhere and God tell me preach on prosperity and the car is so pitiful. I'd park in the back of the church so they wouldn't see it. And, and the Lord told me one time, He said, why are you parking the back? I said, Lord, I'm ashamed of it. He said, I want them to see what you're driving so they can see what I'm going to put you in. Yes. I want them to be able to compare it. And so I learned to just hold my head up high and say, God's working on something. You know, I, That's right. and, uh, one, time I, one time I rented a car. This was the first time we'd rented a car to go preach. Remember, this was in Gadsden. This was years ago, 90, early 92, 93, maybe something like that. I'd rented a little car. The preacher that invited me to preach didn't know what I drove. He didn't know that it was a rental car. And so, but, and I didn't tell him, you know, I just rented a car because I wanted something a little nicer to get up there in and rented that car. And I think it was about $65, $70, something like that to rent it. I can figure what it was. It seemed like it was about 65 or so. And so he wanted to take us out to eat after the service. It was a daytime service. And at lunchtime, we went to eat. Morning service started at 10 on a, on a Tuesday. So we did. And he said, Brother James, here, the Lord told me to give you a check, you know, to be a blessing to you. I said, well, I received that. And we prayed with him over it. And he said, and then God told me to give you this for car money. And it was $80. I said, why did you do it? He said, I don't know why. He didn't know I was in a rental car. I said, man, that is so exciting. I said, I rented a car that just about took that, you know. And he said, well, God told me to give you $80 cash. And that'll take care of that. God just always working on something for us. And so it, it doesn't matter. If you're, if you're limping today, just hold your head up high and say, God's working on something. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Everything's going to be all right. He's my provider. Well, look at this. The world's scrounging for things. Verse 32. For your heavenly Father, though, He knows what things you have need of, that you have need of all these things. Verse 33, but you just seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and His way of doing things, righteousness. And then underline it, if you had not already underlined this part, and all these things, that includes pacifiers, all these things shall be added unto you. Whatever, what does it take to satisfy you? 
You know, God doesn't mind satisfying His children. He wants to do it. But you got to, but the, but the key is in the seeking Him. Notice it didn't say seek the thing. It said seek Him as the giver of the thing. Now, I told you I was going to show you something else. Look, that's Matthew 6. Just back up to Matthew 5. I'll put it up on the screen for you. You can see it here. Matthew 5, verse 6 says, Jesus had just said this a chapter earlier. Well, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Earlier in the sermon, He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be what? Satisfied. Satisfied. Now, do you know what satisfaction means? Susan and I used to go to a friend's house and when we would eat, she would always put food on the table and she would say, now y'all eat till you're satisfied. Which is not a real smart thing to do. It took a lot for me to get satisfied. But that, was, that told me something about God. When she'd do that, she said, eat till you're satisfied. Well, I know what she was doing. She wasn't trying to get us to overeat or something like that, but she was saying, eat, let, let God satisfy you at this moment. I know what it is. You ever believe for an automobile and somebody offering you the wrong one? You know, it wasn't, well, somebody's trying to give me one. It's not the one I've got my faith out there for. Right. That doesn't mean, mean you can't take the one they're giving you. Amen. Just say, well, I'm going to receive that point. God still, That's but I'm not letting right. go of that. I'm not letting go of that new, you know, whatever you're believing for out there. Right. You know. Amen. Somebody, somebody right. bless you with something. Just say, well, thank God I received that. Sometimes, you, sometimes people give you something. You say, well, you know, they gave me this suit or this dress or whatever it might be, but it's just not my style. Well, that's God telling you it's seed. Come on. Find whose style it is. God gave you seed for sowing. Because you're believing God for a suit, and that's not the one. I believe God for a car. That wasn't the car. But that's all right. Just a seed. Takes you to a higher place. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. The keys in the hungering and the thirsting. You say, well, that's exciting to think about God that can satisfy us and will satisfy us. It is, but the key for you is to be hungry. Have you ever tried to feed a toddler that wasn't hungry? You, you are, you'd be better to face World War I by yourself. Right? Trying to feed a toddler when they're not hungry. Why aren't they hungry? Because they're already satisfied. You know, one thing a good pediatrician will tell you, they'll eat when they're hungry. You know, don't worry about it. Mamas, don't chase them all over the room trying to eat. You end up with five pounds of food on your clothes. Just know they'll get hungry. They'll come back and you'll have it ready for them. Well, God says, when you're hungry, I'll feed you. But you got to be hungry. So I'm just telling you, you better get hungry. Amen? Amen. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Newness of life then is a life. Now, just, I have to say this real quickly. is a life of thoroughly satisfying change in you, like Charles, like Mary. It will thoroughly satisfy you. Whatever changes your life needs to be, God will completely change you. That you're satisfied within your own self. If you're a person that's dissatisfied, a Christian person, that's dissatisfied with yourself, you're missing out on most of your redemption. Because you don't know what He's really done for you. Dissatisfied means to be not content or unhappy with life. Christians should never be in that place. But you know, generally speaking, when you talk about the whole world, especially in the United States, I know it's true, we're dissatisfied people all the time. We haven't got everything we want. You hear people grumping all the time. We're not satisfied with our leaders. They'll say, well, we don't have the right government. Or sometimes you'll hear people say, I'm not satisfied with my spouse, my husband or wife, or with their children, or things that we have. You know, I, my house isn't big enough, or something like that. Or they'll say, I don't have the right size TV. This, the iPhone doesn't have the latest technology. It takes, you know, just a constant increase of what it takes to satisfy us. You was fine with the, I don't even know what the numbers on cell phones are, but, you know, you're satisfied with your iPhone Help me, David. A long time ago. What's oh, a long time? Seven, a long time ago? I think mine's a five. 
What do you mean? I don't know. But then you, you, you're fine with it. You're satisfied with it until you see what somebody else's phone will do. You, you know, I mean, you got, your phone will do what? I still have trouble calling mama and, and yours will run out and hoe the garden. I didn't, you know, what number is that? You know, and, and you start getting dissatisfied with it. But just don't, don't, don't get my point. I'm making a lot of points now. Don't allow, allow that to move you into a place of dissatisfaction. Just say, Father, I thank you that you've got the best for me too. And he'll, he'll satisfy you with those things. Don't let, it, don't let problems push you over into the common state that people are in in dissatisfaction and discontentment. Don't do that in unhappiness. So walking with Jesus is a real experiential, you know, you can experience Him, real power. Amen. Amen. All right, on the screen. Now, look at it real quickly. All we need is a provider, and He's that. Amen. He's a provider, satisfied. Look at Psalm 145. Is this helping anybody? I hope you're, you know, I don't know whether we're going to get to share anything tonight, like I said, but it'd be nice if you just write down some things for yourself. Holy Spirit reminds you of things. You know, these are some things that God's done for me that I need to tell people about what He's doing. This could encourage somebody else. You got a healing, especially, boy, when you got a healing. One, one uh, friend of ours healed of cancer. I mean, that's a big statement for her to make to people because a lot of people suffer with cancer. That's right. Amen. And to say, hey, I, I battled it and, and God took me right through it. I'm healed. I have no trace of it. And He'll do it for you. Tell people that it just Amen. liberates them, sets them free. Because they've probably been through a whole group of doctors that hadn't told them that. And they find out from a child of God that he'll do it. All right, look at this now. I put down several verses here, 14 through 19. It says, The Lord, now think about it. you be hungry, God will satisfy. So he, all you need is a provider, and he's that, right? Yes. And uh, let's, let's do it. Say this with me. Say, My boss isn't my provider, my job is not my provider. My, my inheritance, you know, talking about natural worldly inheritance is not my provider. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't receive a natural inheritance. It's just you don't want to be limited to that. That's right. Amen. That's right. Don't ever limit yourself to what man has done. Because we're going to look at what the Lord can do. Start with verse 14. The Lord upholds all that fall. That's good, isn't it? He raises up all those that be bowed down or pushed down because of circumstances. Watch, He's a provider. Watch this, 15. The eyes of all wait upon God. And He gives them their meat in due season. Satisfies them. Look at verse 16. God opens His hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. In this scripture then, it's telling me that in God's hand is what it takes to satisfy the desire of every living creature on this earth. Animals and man included. All you got to do is seek the hand of God. You know, seek, seek the face of God. Maybe it's a better way to say it. But in His hand has the provision to satisfy every desire that you'll ever have. Don't ever look to people for it because people, people aren't able to do things for you. Go on and read. Keep reading just a little bit further. But again, that verse 16, God opens His hand, that thou referring to God. God opens His hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. The Lord is near unto all them that call upon Him and to all that call upon Him in truth or according to the Word. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him, reverence Him, he also, I better read that again, 19, He will fulfill the desires yes. of all them that, the word fear doesn't mean be afraid of, it means right. you reverence Him. Yes. He'll fulfill the desire of everyone that fears Him. He also will hear their cry and will save or deliver them. The Lord preserves all them that love Him, but all the wicked will He destroy. Right. Go ahead and read 21. My mouth shall speak then the praise of the Lord, David said, and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Amen. Why? Because He's got in His hands the, the ability to satisfy. Yes. 
But you know, we started with verse 14, but let me show you what's the key to it. It's back to verse 13. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And thy dominion, God's authority, endures throughout all generations. So the reason that God's able to meet the needs of people, seek first the kingdom, is because He has a kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. He's got a realm that He's wanting to work through. And if you'll submit yourself to that kingdom, you'll get all that Father has. Say amen if you can see that. That's powerful. Look up on the screen at this. And the message, here it says the kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Look how the message puts it. He says, your kingdom is a kingdom eternal. You never get voted out of office. This is God. God, you never get voted out of office. God always does what He says, and He's gracious in everything that He does. He'll satisfy. Then He goes on to say, He opens His hand and satisfies your desires. Psalm 107 on the screen, if you look at this, Psalm 107 verse 9 says, He satisfies the longing soul. Satisfies. Look at that. Say satisfies. He satisfies the longing soul. Longing is somebody that's almost just, just hungry for something. Longing for something. Longing when you're wanting something so badly. He'll satisfy the longing soul and He fills the hungry soul with goodness. So the how of provision is not your problem. That's Father's. The hunger for the God that provides it is all He needs from you. Just the hunger. Lord, I'm hungry for you to do things for me. In the CEB version for that verse, he says, God satisfies the one who was parched with thirst and he filled up the hungry with good things. I like good things. Our job is to be hungry. God's job is to satisfy. Psalm 81.10, God says, I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. Well, that means make a big request. The mouth has to do with your confession. One of the translations will show that. But how big are you asking? I think we've got to get to this place that we understand that sometimes we just ask God for things that's just not a big enough request. Are you hearing that? Let me tell you what I mean by that. One time there was a king... And he brought a gift to one of his friends who wasn't a king, but it was a very big gift he brought. And when he brought it and set it down in front of him, he said, this is too big for me. He said, the, the friend said, I can't have, this is too big of a gift. He said, it's not, the king said, it's not too big of a gift for a king to give. Come on, amen. That's good. How big can Father give for you? So you want a house, just a little shelter, and he's like, I'd like to have a room for all your children in. Come on, amen. Right. Amen. I'd like to give you a bonus room. Amen. You hear they're not amen in this good. So you want a car that'll roll and get you to work, and God might want you to roll in a rolls. I don't know. Now I'm not saying you have to have a rolls to be that. Somebody talking about Mary Chapman. She said one day that somebody said something to her at work. Said, "I, I hear you just have to have a Cadillac if you go down to Jasper Christian Center." She said, "No, but you stay long enough, you'll get one." And she was driving one. Stay long enough, you'll get one if you want it. Now not everybody wants a Cadillac. Open your mouth wide, God said, and I'll fill it. Look at this in the Living Bible. Open your mouth wide and see God. Now, this is God talking to you. He says, open your mouth wide, big request, and see if I won't fill it, you'll receive every blessing that you can use. That's the way God does things. And the TPT, the Passion Translation, He says, open your mouth with a mighty decree, confession of faith. I will fulfill it now. You'll see, God says, the words that you speak, so shall it be. My goodness, that's powerful to me. I'm going to have to hurry up to get out of here, but look at Psalm 65 right quick. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Blessed is the person that God draws near to him. 
you know, you're sitting on the blue chairs tonight because God has drawn us That's all right. near to Him. All right? He says, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, God. The holiness of your temple is what's going to satisfy us. I'm telling you, God is a satisfying God. And we walk in newness of life, letting God satisfy our lives. All the people you work with that are wondering if God will do anything, you'll be their testimony. You'll be their testimony. There's a little girl in our church one time believing for a horse. And somebody asked her, said, told her mother, said, wow, I don't believe you ought to use faith for a horse. God didn't give nobody a horse. I told that little girl, I said, sweetheart, if you keep using your faith for that horse... All your friends that ever have a need, they'll say, I remember when God gave that to charity. God gave a horse to charity, so He'll give the car to me, or He'll give a house, or help me get this house payment made, or help me get it. And, and you know, that's, that's exactly the testimony. God don't mind you having things as long as you tell them that God gave it to you. I was watching a man the other day had on a $2,000 suit. That's got to feel good. I've never spent that much on a suit. But you know the fact he wore it and said God gave it to him? Yeah. Let me know that God... One time I was in a service and uh, Leroy Thompson, I know Pastor Leroy Thompson. At that time, I was trying to remember what it was. We needed, how much for to finish off our property? Was it 18000 wasn't it? The property that we own across the highway a little bit. We lacked $18,000 on paying, you know, having that to close because we wanted to pay cash for our church property. $18,000. We, we had got up 30-something, whatever we lacked. I don't know, but we, we lacked 18000 and I was in a service in Fort Worth, and Leroy Thompson was preaching, and he made mention of a ring that he had. Uh-huh. He said, some of my sons, some of my sons in the faith bought me this, it's an $18,000 ring. Do you know people quit listening to him because of that ring? I mean, I knew people that later said, I'm going to go back to his meetings where the $18,000 oh, wow. ring, I can't believe, that's just horrible. Those people that took that like that, they're not, some of them not even in the ministry today. Oh. They just, I know some of them that didn't. And as you failed, they couldn't get anything because they were mad because he said that wow. God had blessed him with an $18,000 ring. Now, I was sitting there thinking, $18,000, that's how much we need on our property. If God will do that for a ring, well, I know He'll do that for the property. And it got my faith up behind us. And I came back to Jasper saying, you know what? God will do that for us. And it wasn't a week later. Somebody called me on the phone at the old facility up there on a Wednesday afternoon. I went out to the car to go home to start, you know, early to preach on a Wednesday night, get home early. And the secretary ran out the door and said, Brother James said, somebody's got you calling you on the phone. So I ran in there and talked. Yeah. And I thought it was somebody else because I had a wedding coming up. I thought it was about a wedding. And I thought that's who I was talking to. And he said, how much you owe on your property? I said, what, what do you, who is it? You know, it took me a while to catch right. what was going on. He said, don't y'all buying some land? I said, yeah. yeah. He said, how much you owe on it? I said, well, we like, when I realized who it was, as a preacher friend from another city, I said, we like about 18000 He said, well, Karen and I, his wife and I, said, we're, we're writing you a check for it. We'll have it overnight. At, yeah. have it tomorrow. Yeah. It was about a week later. I didn't get upset by that man's $18,000 ring. I said, man, if God will do it for a ring. Think about that. Well, that's where you need to be. Say, if, it, it, Ride your horse if that's what you've got to use your faith for. Ride that thing. So I said, where'd you get that? God gave it to me. And somebody will be sitting there saying, well, if God... Now, now, somebody else might say, I don't believe God. I, I just don't like that, her riding that horse and saying, God, give well, that's okay. That'll cut down the competition of horse riding. You won't have so many people with But somebody will say, if God would do that for her, He'll help me out of this financial problem that I'm in. Anyway, but He's satisfied. We'll be, uh, look in the middle. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of God's house. That's powerful. So a satisfied life is a, is a life that God supplies. Psalm 91, 16, we all know it. It says, with long life, I'll satisfy him. God says he'll satisfy us and show us his salvation. Psalm 19, 23 says, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. I'm going to abide satisfied. Are you? 
The voice translation here says, Reverence for the eternal leads to a fulfilled life. Those who have it will sleep well, for disaster will not touch them. Look at that in the King James again. Fear the Lord tendeth to life. He that hath it, the fear of the reverence of God, shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Again, voice says, Reverence for the eternal leads to a satisfied, a fulfilled life, rather, satisfied. Those who have it will sleep well, for disaster will not touch them. You don't have to worry about anything. Passion Translation, same verse. When you live a life of abandoned love, where you've just totally given yourself over to God, you're not holding any reserve for yourself. When you live a life of abandoned love, a life of abandoned surrendered before the awe of God, here's what you'll experience. Abundant life, continual protection, and complete satisfaction. Isn't that powerful? Man, that's good. Complete satisfaction in God. And, and I've got to just show you one last scripture. I added this one in just before I left the house. Isaiah 58 says, The Lord shall guide you continually, and He'll satisfy your soul even in drought. That means when the world is drying up, God's going to keep watering you. Let Read it all together. The Lord shall guide you continually. He'll satisfy you in drought, and He'll make you fat your bones. That means healthy. And you'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And some translations say, some, some say He'll satisfy us even in drought. So we don't have to worry about anything. We've just got a God that satisfies. And if you and I start allowing Him, walking in a way that allows Him to do those things, we'll be a better witness to all those people around us. More people will want a Jesus that can fix their problems than one that just made you religious. Amen. 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 I'm going to say that again. I want you to think about it. We didn't get saved just so we could sit in a church, you know, and just go, you know, say, okay, we're just biding time till we go to heaven, holding on. No, but enjoy life. Let God be a supply to you. Yes. Open, just get that picture of Him opening His hands and everything you need is in His hands. Yes. Amen. And let Him do it for you. And I promise you, you'll take more people to heaven with you than you would any other way. Stand up with me. Praise God. Father, I thank You for these great, great, great people that are assembled here tonight. We thank You for every man, every woman, every boy and girl. And we say that, Lord, You're working in our lives to reveal this newness of life, this freshness. Amen. Something that's unfamiliar to yes. the rest of the world. Lord, it's new territory. Yes. It, uh, a lot of times, Lord, we feel like we've been put in shame for believing these things. But you said for shame, you'll give us double. Woo, yes. And we're taking yes. double right now in Jesus' name so we can be a better witness.